Welcome to another episode, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein to do another what if episode. And the what if we're going to deal with today is what if I didn't have these uh, fine auction company sponsors, Heritage Auctions, as well as Huggins and Scott. And I'm not just saying that they were not, they might not be sponsors, but they might not either exist or might not be in the uh, sports collectible field. They might be doing something else. What if they really weren't as they are? So that's the what if. Uh, but I'm glad they are sponsors. I've got other sponsors as well. Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck. Did I mention ComC? Yeah, I mentioned ComC. ComC. Rich is not going to let me forget ComC, <laughs> and I try not to forget ComC as well. But uh, again, great sponsors, but we're going to talk about just the two auction company sponsors, which are, were intentional. I only invited two. I wanted some contrast between them. They they cover a spectrum and it, with a slightly different approaches. Uh, and I'm not saying one is at one end of the market and one is at the other, but they, they, they span a lot. And if they weren't around, Rich... What would the auction landscape look? I think the auction landscape might not be as healthy. It definitely would be as healthy because Heritage is now the number one in terms of high dollar items because they're just more than cards. They're cards, they're coins, they're art, they're all these other things. So having a person like Chris Ivey running Heritage Sports Auctions with Chris's vast experience has really you know, let them get the same contacts into the sports collecting field that they have in all the other fields. So we're saying that if Heritage Auctions were, if they either didn't exist or if they weren't involved in sports, there'd be a void. But the fact that they are in sports, they brought their client list and expertise and their, their, their auction engine into the sports. And so they've, they've, uh, they've, they've come on strong and they're doing well. There's, there's other great auction companies out there as well, but none of them that are in this market have the breadth of these other uh, the purses and coins and stamps and all these other things. And so. I want to digress to a personal thing for a second. <clears throat> My wife was blessed for the holidays with a new kidney, and she and her mom are currently in New York, and at some point I'm going to trade places with her mom because that's where I'm from and I'd like to go back home for a visit. They're in New York, and all of a sudden they pass Heritage Auctions building in New York. Huh. And about a week ago, we're on the phone, and she says, I passed Heritage Auctions, <laughs> and I know them, and I know you know people there, and don't we get the catalogs from them? Yes. Yes, and I've always enjoyed reading their catalogs, because when you were talking about the engines, they do that with the catalogs. Right. Well, they have critical mass, so yes. they can, you can, They have offices in Beverly Hills and these other places, and that's not necessarily for sports cards, but sports cards and memorabilia get a benefit from that. So somebody, there'd be a lot of good hobby-oriented auction houses, but would Christie's or Sotheby's end up being the number one? Well, sport? I think Christie's and Sotheby's have dabbled yes. in sports collectibles and not been that successful. It's not a no-brainer because it's more of a collectible thing than an art, fine art Co thing. Correct. Christie's and has been dabbling since the early 90s. Right. I remember meeting right. the Christie's rep in 1993 at the Chicago National. So they've been on and off for more than 25 years. But so collectibles are not really fine art. That's why Heritage was more successful. I don't know if they're the number three worldwide auction house, but perhaps they are. A but billion they also, in sales. They and, also uh, started with coins and they have comics, so right, they're very they're, used they're to the collectible kind of things. I, I've, one of my business philosophies is that uh, if you have a business, you ought to try to be number one in something. Now, you get to define what you're number one in, uh, and according to the way you've defined it, Heritage is number one. I think there'd be other auction companies who would dispute that they're number one according to their definition, but uh, Heritage is doing a lot of things right, and they'd be really missed if they weren't around, not just not to be a sponsor, but if they if they were just still doing coins. On the other hand, we got Huggins and Scott, and they started doing auctions, kind of local uh, live auctions back in the, I guess, late 80s, 
and then moved into the internet and the catalogs and the, the national international perspective. Uh, maybe uh, 10 years after that, Bill was telling me. So Bill Huggins was just a dealer. He was, uh, he had a, he had a card shop. He still does. Did, did some auctions, but, uh, it's, it's, it's an auction powerhouse in a different way. It's a maybe fun. pound for pound. They're number one. I like think? looking at their catalogs. When I get a Huggins and Scott catalog, it's just fun to see what's there because they have old, they have high quality cards. They'll have mixes of sports. They have mixes of memorabilia. It's just fun to see all the different things. Well, in but where would that fun go? If they weren't around, would the other, I, I'm not sure many of the other companies, auction companies would, would fill that void. I don't think they would because if you really read the catalog, they list all the people who uh, aggregate for them. Yeah. And they have an aggregator down here in DFW who sends them right. a lot of material. So but even that's an innovation. Yes. I think. Yeah. Especially when the, the lots that they're dealing with are these difficult to describe things. So you almost have to see them, but. So is there any other auction house that's that that gets close to that? Or are they are they pretty unique in that? Do you think? I think they're pretty they, unique in their in their breadth and their depth of what they do. A lot of auction houses do some of what they do, but I don't think anybody quite does because all Because it's difficult to copy what they're doing, don't you think? Exactly. In other words, if you want to compete against uh heritage, first go start doing coins and stamps and these other things and be successful with that. That's a tall, tall order. With Huggins and Scott, same thing. If they're not around, it's not a simple matter for, uh, again, they're, I've, you know, I, like you and, and Dina and my wife, Diane, you know, you, you see these catalogs coming by and they're works of art. And occasionally there's some items in the catalog that are the treasure chest kinds of things that, that uh, Huggins and Scott does and, and these more conglomerate lots that are difficult to describe. But that, that most of these auction companies are just dabbling in that. And if they did a whole bunch of it, they may not even be able to make very much money off that because the handling. And so apparently the process that Huggins and Scott has developed is is not patented, but it's something that's is working for them. And I think Bill would just still have his store today. You know, one of my favorite Bill Huggins stories, I believe at the 84 National, he and Al Rosen had a foot race. Oh, boy. They, they, yes. And Bill tore his Achilles tendon, if uh, I remember correctly. Yeah. That's, what were the stakes? What, I don't what, even. What, I never heard what the stakes were. I know what it was. They were they were trying to get a walk in. They were right? trying to be first one to a collection. <laughs> and uh, but it's but it's whatever it was. They got going and, and well, they, had, they were both real near the front at the yes. national. You know, probably even in those days. Yes. Well, that's a inspiring thought. That uh, <laughs> foot race reminds me of what was it? The Chicago National a few years after that when there was a foot race to get in at nine o'clock in the morning or something to get the promos. You still have that foot race yeah. to this day to go to the corporates because they'll do a time release on some of them yeah. that you have to be online early. And I always tell the other story about Bill Huggins is that his wife used to buy Richie's Zisk cards from me at the show. Nancy. And yeah. she's, and because they were both from Parsippany, New Jersey. Oh, really? And so, you know, it wasn't a great collection, but the fact that his wife collected and enjoyed that was always kind of cool too. I mean, it was always like ten or twenty dollars I'd, I'd get from them every show just for selling them Richie Zisk cards. Okay, let's let's take it on a different tack here. Let's look at a particular collection that comes in. If somebody is a celebrity, a former athlete, they have this collection of memorabilia, and they're going to go to a, a particular auction house, and they're going to go to one that they feel like will handle what they have well. And so I know that that. Uh, that heritage is 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 working that angle, but so do the others. So clearly, if someone was a celebrity, they could they could get their cards sold. On the other end of the spectrum, if somebody was a collector and they had a conglomerate lot of of nice cards but not fabulous cards, they'd have more trouble if Huggins and Scott wasn't around. Correct. I imagine they'd find a place, but maybe their collection 
would be transacted but not optimized. Would you? I would agree with that. There are very few auction houses, as I said, that have the breadth and the depth of what they do. Um, and make money. And I make mean, money. it's not a charitable endeavor. Both of the both of our fine auction sponsors are are are, uh, are, are businesses that are they're trying and, to make money. They got a bunch of employees and, that expect to get a paycheck. And I think and Bill, I know quite well. And I think Bill is still Bill would still be a dealer, and he'd still be setting up at the National and some other shows. But he just wouldn't be running an auction. He mm-hmm. he and John Scott would just be doing right. what they were doing before, and maybe run some local shows and never expanded. And, and well, they're, they're the only yeah. ones that have expanded from like the local auction concept to right. catalogs. I mean, our good friend John Broach used to run a monthly auction along with Jer- the late Jerry Shore in uh, East Brunswick, New Jersey. And I went to that at times. And it was a fun auction to go to and you could find stuff. But it was quite an experience, you know, seeing, you know, John went one way and Bill went the other and Bill went a different way. Both Both ways have worked for them. Well, I mean, is there any other auction that is as decentralized as Huggins is? I mean, uh, Huggins and Scott are decentralized with their, their uh, acquisition uh, consultants or whatever, uh, whereas Heritage is, is uh, geographically diversified by having some of these satellite offices. So, so both of them, they have that in common, but are, are there others that are taking that? Cause I, I think, think some it's... travel, if they see a collection, oh, some will always right. travel. Some On will tour. Say, yeah. Uh, yeah, a tour, yeah. they'll travel, I know. Uh, Steve Erkman, a clean sweep, always advertises when he travels right. somewhere to look for items. So I'm sure other vendors are doing, other auction houses are doing the same thing. It's just that when I look in the Huggins and Scott Cowan, there are like 20 people, and I know like 10 of them that are people who contribute. Exactly, yeah. And they're they're uh, outstanding uh, known collector slash dealers, yeah. I think one of them is the now retired from the business Uncle Dick DeCourcy. Yeah, and they're, they're buddies. I mean, I, I'm buddies with them too, but... Okay, so the other what if scenario for this is that not just that they don't exist, but what if Heritage was acquired? What if Huggins and Scott was acquired as a company? Does anybody have new... the money to do Huggins and uh, to do Heritage? That's a lot of money. <laughs> well, no, it's, 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 it's on Wall Street. There's, there's, there's no limits to money I mean, if people think it's a good deal. But what if some entity bought them out? I think they're very private, and I, I think they're they're profitable. But suppose there's a number, the crazy money that gets thrown at them. My concern with that, again, in the what if scenario here, is that I think though it's it's owned and run by hobbyists who who are, have financial savviness as well. And if they got bought out by a private equity firm or a, went public or something, that's uh, there's the challenges of quarterly earnings and and other kinds of uh, you know impatience of investors sometimes. Well, and, I, and and going to something that recently happened, Elias Sports Bureau was sold earlier this year, and Cy Siwoff passed away at the age of 99 a couple of weeks ago. A couple of people who were longtime high-level executives, the Hurt Brothers, were just hired by Stats Incorporated. Yeah. And there's some blowback, and and somebody, and Don Zaminda, a friend of mine from yeah. Sabre, posted, you know, he had worked for Stats for years, he may still does, and yeah. he goes, you know, what do you think? And I said, you know, if you can get executives who have worked for a competitor and they didn't have a non-compete, why wouldn't you hire them? And it's it's, it's somewhat similar in that, hey, Stats just basically bought. Two of the most important people Elias yeah. ever had. <laughs> well, uh, again, staying with uh, the uh, Huggins and Scott, what, what if they were acquired? Would they, uh, it seems like they would be more likely acquired from from another industry player, yes. rather than a Wall Street kind of thing. It'd be uh, presumably less money than because they don't have the coins, which yep. is huge and and all that. But uh, you'd be you'd, you might be buying their process. Uh, you might be buying their relationships. You might be buying their network. And so that might be attractive as well. And Bill's friendly enough and John's friendly enough with enough people that could very well happen in the near future. So it'd be interesting to see if that comes true. Well, we're not saying what if 
we're saying what if not in the prescriptive sense, but in the provocative sense. Not we're not trying to speak anything into being. We don't know but, anything. We don't. But, we don't have any inside if, information. No, no. But uh, but I just think it's it's kind of interesting that it, when the hobby, uh, it, you know, I, I thought I'd never sell the company, and I wound up selling the company. And they, my uh, friends advised me the time to sell is when somebody wants to buy. Uh, sometimes when you want to sell, there there there's there's not buyers. Well, the people there. who the bought from you ran strong. into that problem. Well, that's. <laughs> Neither, that's uh, was out of my control. <laughs> I mean, I, my friend said you can, you can, uh, you know, you just you're, you're at a point where you you just say yes or no. I'm either going to accept this offer uh, or or not. I accepted it. It's it's bittersweet when you, but uh, a lot of a lot of great people still there. Um, almost out of time. Any last minute thoughts yes. about the what if of, of these well, auction? The companies? what if about what you sold your company? I always point out to you, you're the same age that Rob Lifson was when he sold REA. When. Rob Lipson well, sold REA. He's the same age when he as sold. I was when I sold. Amazing. Wow. Well, and again, that's REA. Uh, you know, is the first two yeah. middle uh, name and middle name of of, of Rob Lipson. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's not that there's a certain age when you think about these things uh, for everybody, but it's but uh, these what if episodes we're doing. We're, we're out of time now, Rich. But these what if episodes, just an opportunity to explore. In a, in a back and forth sense, some of these possibilities. Again, not to say that they will or won't happen, or but they they could have happened in something. It's, it's going to be fun. So, re- listeners, if you've got ideas for other what ifs or other ideas for uh, episodes, just uh, contact at uh, Dr. James Beckett at uh, gmail dot com. All spelled out. Be happy to uh, consider that. And uh, again, as I've said, I've got a thousand episodes. So I've got almost 900 to go and I'll be enjoying it uh, all along the way. And these what ifs hopefully be a nice way to express that. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, Jim. Thanks listeners. Be back tomorrow with another episode.